All of us are on a journey of becoming, a complicated journey in pursuit of truth and deeper knowledge of the divine. Many of you know that faith is a complicated thing and that it can be a painful and difficult journey and far too often we are not given a space where we can safely address the complications and issues that arise naturally. My name is Joshua Patterson and I too am on a journey of becoming. I am dedicated to inviting you into my journey and creating a space where questions and critical thinking are welcome. I want to take an honest look at the issues and questions plaguing the Christian church today. I want to genuinely seek out what it means to live like Jesus in our ever-changing world, in our unfolding and expanding universe, and in our pluralistic society. I have come to know that doubt is not the enemy of faith but it is perhaps one of its greatest allies. I have learned that the Christian faith is more about wisdom and love than it is about correct doctrine or belief. And I believe that we are being invited to continually seek out both wisdom and love, renewing our minds, expanding our hearts, and rethinking our faith in the process. Thank you for joining me on that journey. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of the Rethinking Faith podcast. As always, I'm Josh Patterson, and I just got home from work. I don't know what you guys have been up to, but I worked today. <laughs> it was a pretty easy day, a fun day. As most of you know, I, uh, I work at a brewery now. I'm a brewer at a local spot here in Baltimore. And uh, today was nice. I, I cleaned out a tank that we used uh we made a we so we have a line of sours called dan's jams and i'm not huge in on sours but we do we do well with our sours and this one particularly was a candy sour and i can't say exactly what kind of candy we put in it but it was pink and it was shaped like a square and it was very delicious. And we made a beer with about 250 pounds of this pink, delicious square candy that also comes in a variety of colors and other fruit flavors. Uh, you guys can probably guess. But I cleaned out that tank. I uh, got it nice and clean, sanitized, purged it from all the oxygen. And tomorrow I will be moving our American Light Lager Royale with cheese into that tank. So that's what I did today. And then on top of that, I have the privilege of podcasting and hanging out with my new friend, John. This is uh, John Mabry. John, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for agreeing to come on and hang out. And also to listeners, um, I have been, I've thrown John all over the place. My schedule has been very crazy and John has been very gracious and patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> and so John, I appreciate uh, both your patience and your graciousness uh, working this out and, and making it happen. So thank you so much for not kicking me to the curb. I appreciate it. No worries, man. Hmm. Well, John, just so uh, for our listeners who may not be super uh, familiar with yourself or your work, can you just kind of give us like a, a background, a little bit of who you are and what kind of stuff you find yourself doing? Uh, uh, sure. So um, I uh, am the director of the spiritual direction certificate program at the chaplaincy institute which is an interfaith seminary in berkeley california um, uh, i also have a, a private practice in spiritual direction and supervision and um, i run a small publishing company called the apocryphile press i'd like to say that we uh, we we publish things that religious publishers wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole and <laughs> um, in my spare time, I, I write music. Um, I sing for two progressive rock bands, um, Metaphor and Mind Furniture. And, um, uh, and uh, I have a new solo album out. And, um, and I write. I write theology. I write spirituality. Um, and I write um, fiction, mostly science fiction and fantasy. Nice. So you basically do a little bit of everything is what I'm uh, picking up on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe it's that I get bored easy. I'm not sure. But uh, uh, but, um, you know, my life has recently changed. Um, I was a United Church of Christ pastor um, 
I pastored Grace North Church for 27 years in Berkeley, and um, and that has just just come. So I am figuring out um, if I am not uh, if I am not a pastor, and uh, so uh, I'm trying on writer for size, uh, and that <laughs> so writer and teacher, I suppose. Yeah, nice. I like that. I um, I too recently, I guess. So believe it or not, geez, it's been almost a year now. Uh, that I have stopped being a pastor. I was not a pastor for 20 some years because I've only been alive for 20 some years. Uh, but I was a pastor for about five or six years and I stopped doing that and became a bartender. And then now here I am as a brewer at a local craft brewery. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I have aspirations to be a writer. <laughs> I have some fears of my own that hold me back, but I have some some stuff that I've written that I have kept very private. But I have aspirations for sure of of writing. Oh, we, so, well, we should talk about that another time. Yeah, most definitely. I, I would love to. That'd be super helpful. Great, well, great. Yeah, and uh, John, one one question that I I really like to ask people, just because it it really helps it you know, it helps to kind of get to know you, but also it, um, it helps bring like a relate, uh, relatability to things. Uh, the podcast is called rethinking faith. And so, mm-hmm. um, I was wondering what is perhaps the most important aspect of your faith that you feel you had to rethink? Wow. Uh, you mean in my whole life? Uh, it could be in your whole life, or it could be in the last ten minutes, <laughs> or in, in the last okay. three months. Yeah, whatever it is, you you can qualify it how you want, because it, right. well, it is a big question. I, I would say there 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 are two major shifts. So I'll, I'll take them in chronological order, if that's all right. So um, I was raised uh, a pretty hardcore fundamentalist Southern Baptist, um, and um, you know. Uh, evangelicals, the evangelical world is pretty exclusivist. You know, we've, we've got the truth and nobody else does. Um, and so, you know, that was the way I was raised. And um, uh, I had some really painful experiences of a, uh, of a, a church that was much further to the right than even most Southern Baptist churches. They were very influenced by <clears throat> Jack Hiles and the uh, independent uh, Baptist movement there. And, um, uh, and you know, there was some significant spiritual wounding there. Um, and uh, so uh, after, after high school, I kind of uh, needed a, a break. So <laughs> from, from religion, you know, so uh, when my friends kind of got into sex, drugs and rock and roll, so did I. Um, and uh, one day I was driving uh, with my, my, uh, my best friend, Bob, and um, my girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend at the time, we were driving to Disneyland and I asked him, <clears throat> Bob, what is God? And Bob had been raised by hippies. So um, I knew that this was going to be a different answer than uh, perhaps uh, <laughs> he'd get if he asked me. And uh, he said, well, the universe is like a gigantic, complex dance. It's seemingly chaotic, but perfectly orchestrated. And everything in the universe knows the steps to the dance. The planets, the stars, the angels, the demons, the plants, the animals, they, they all do the steps perfectly. And the only ones who have forgotten the steps are, are human beings. And so we, uh, this, is the, this is why we have religious traditions, because it, uh, they give us the, 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 the way to get back into step with the dance of the universe. <clears throat> and... I was so blown away. I was so blown away. I, you know, by that that answer, I, I I became a universalist on the spot. I cried for two two days, man. I kid you not. Um, and um, uh, and so then, from then on, it was really a, a a quest for how do all of these other religions relate to God? How do they understand God? Um, what is what is the religion about? Um, and one of the things I realized is that you know 
uh, every every person has you know a, a tradition to teach them the steps, and my tradition was Christianity, and so I went back to it, and I you know I learned to jitterbug with 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 Christianity, and that was just fine. But I never again thought that uh, that that could be the only way there were there were other dance moves and they were cool too you know um i got an earring so that every time i would look in the mirror i would be reminded uh of who i was and never fall back into fundamentalist conformity um and i did a phd in world religions um and doing that phd was a work of of significant healing um, and one of the things that really, really surprised me is that every time I would find a teaching or a practice that I didn't know about uh, in another tradition, when I came back to the Christian tradition and I dug, I would find it, which really blew my mind. Um, and it just really kind of reinforced that that universality for me. Um, and so uh, being grounded in a tradition, in my tradition, um, has been uh, life-giving for me. Um, at, and at the same time, um, teaching world religions and comparative theology and interfaith spiritual guidance um, has basically been my, you know, my life's work apart from pastoring. Um, so that was the first big shift. The second big shift is, you know, I would say that for most of, well, it, certainly the, the first half of my pastoral life, uh, I would have considered myself a Christian agnostic. So I practice this tradition, but who knows, right? Um, and then I was, um, studying for a reception into the United Church of Christ as a pastor. And um, I had to take um, some classes in theology, and I had to uh, read Martin Luther. Well, I'd never read Martin Luther before. Uh, I loved Martin Luther. I mean, that guy is a gas. I was expecting just dry as dirt kind of theology, but that's not what I got. I got something that was just vibrant and alive and cussing and, and, and body. And uh, uh, it was so human and it was so brilliant um, that I read all 775 pages of Luther's um, basic theological writings and it turned me inside out. And the big shift point came when I realized that when Luther says we are saved by faith, he did not mean intellectual assent to a list of metaphysical propositions like in the creed. You know, faith is a mistranslation. He meant we are saved by trust. And the moment I got that, I heard the voice of Jesus say, you know, I don't care what you believe. Can you trust me? And that's when I realized it wasn't about believing the right thing. It was about having a relationship with this living person. It was about being intimate with him. Uh, to fully revealing myself to him and having him reveal himself to me. Um, and that healed, that, that really began um, uh, the completion of my healing process, I would say, because it, it brought me back to some of the stuff in my evangelical past, because for all the stuff that I think the evangelicals get wrong, like, you know, the rigid, the rigidity and the rules and, and the shunning and all of that stuff uh, and the exclusivity, the one of the, the, I think one of the big things they get right is intimate relationship with Jesus. Um, 
And I would say that that is, has only grown. And that, you know, since I had that, that, uh, uh, that, that realization, and that was about, about six years ago, I would say I am every bit as besotted with Jesus as, uh, as, <laughs> as I ever have been. Uh, and um, uh, it's amazing to find healing like that. You know, I'm no longer terrified of God. That's amazing. Yeah, that, man, that, so that last thing you said, no longer terrified of God, that, so that for me was probably the biggest experiential shift that I had in my own personal spiritual journey, because, and, and what I had to do for myself, I, I've talked about this before, is, but I, I talk a lot about my experience from like learning how to move from head into heart. Yeah. And yeah. I, I had to start with my head though. Cause I, you know, I'm a nerd. I like to read all sorts of shit and, <laughs> and yeah. nerd out theologically. And I realized I had all this head knowledge, but I didn't have this experiential knowledge of God. And, um, I started seeing a spiritual director when I still worked in a church. And one of the questions uh, or one of the things that I had, I wrestled with, with uh, Sid, my spiritual director was that exact thing. Like mm-hmm. I was terrified to actually experience whoever this God was. Oh yeah. And so like my, my intellect, I was using my intellect as like a, almost as like a defense mechanism as like an excuse not to actually have to meet this God, right? I could just yeah. read all these books about him, get all the right ideas, and I'll be good. Uh, and that became an excuse to not actually have to experience this God. And, and working through that in spiritual direction was a massive shift for me. And it took a lot of time. Um, it actually, I had to go through my intellect. I That's where I ended up falling into uh, open and relational theology and process theology and thought uh, that realm of things helped give me intellectually a God that was love. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, cool. Okay. So now my head is going to allow me to go where my heart wants to. And then it just, you know, it's been, been night and day ever since. So I really, <laughs> I really resonate with that uh, with what you said there for sure. And I, I resonate with the intellectual piece, too. I mean, I did exactly the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I love to read about God. But it's not really the same as knowing God. Yeah, I, I noticed that when, when you were speaking about your, your two shifts, because I, I thought it was interesting. Um, and please correct me if I misunderstood you, but like you uh, started to like read and learn about and teach about um, other religions prior to having that um, second shift that you talked about. So like that, I was super excited about that because for me, the, the reason that I have been able to open myself up to interfaith dialogue and learning from various spiritual traditions uh, came the other way. I couldn't do it intellectually. I had to do it through experience um, and through, you know, reading various Christian mystics Mm -hmm. and then kind of finding permission, so to speak. Uh, But then also just experiencing the, the God that I experienced and being like, Oh yeah, this, this God is far too big to be contained in my little intellectual box that I like to call Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Or or anybody's or anybody's box. Yeah. For that matter. I'm with you. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Huh? Sweet. Well, I guess, um, so we haven't, we haven't really done much, um, interfaith stuff on rethinking faith. And part of it, part of why that is, is because I was really afraid to do it. Um, I actually, I had a conversation, a couple conversations with my buddy, Dan, uh, who hosts the, uh, you have permission podcast. And, um, he was like, dude, it's like, it's your podcast. You can do whatever you want. You don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid. And so I, I did an episode recently uh, Well, I reached you. Were, so you were the first person I reached out to. I was like, okay, cool. If I'm, I'm going to do this, I want to talk to John. Um, 
And so I, I was excited for that. And then I also, I, I did an episode recently uh, about how Buddhism has made me a better Christian with my, my good friend, Greg. And so I guess what I wanted to ask you first was if you like, if somebody was, were to come to you and be like, okay, John, why is interfaith dialogue so important? Why as a Christian should I care and learn about these other religions uh, from like an intellectual perspective, uh, what might you say to somebody like that? Uh, well, from an intellectual perspective, um, you know, if it doesn't fascinate you, maybe you shouldn't. Um, but, you know, you can take all kinds of perspectives on it. So you, you could take a political perspective on it or um, a social justice perspective on it. Um, there's lots of reasons to do interfaith dialogue, and most of them uh, revolve around the fact that we have to live together. And a lot of us want to live together. Um, and people are afraid of things they don't understand. Um, you know, for instance, people are so afraid of, of Islam, but when you actually start to study Islam, um, there's so much beauty, there's so much heart um, there's so much in common um, that um, it, it utterly transforms uh, your, you know, how you, how you feel about a faith and how you feel about the faithful, how you feel about the people who follow this faith. Um, and one of the things that doing dialogue does is you form relationships. Um, when you become friends with people of other faiths, when you start to love them, um, you start to care about what they care about. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm curious and I like to be curious. And I like to know what people are passionate about and why. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing better than being with somebody who is passionate about their faith and wants to talk about it. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the faith is. You know, um, my wife and I recently went on vacation and we're, we're here in um, uh, upstate New York. And I just, I, I, was, I was dying to go to, to uh, Palmyra, which is, you know, where uh, the Latter-day Saints um, got their start. You know, so here's the hill, Camorra, where uh, Joseph Smith um, uh, uh, legend has it, uh, uh, you know, uncovered uh, the, uh, the golden plates that would become the, uh, the Book of Mormon. And um, staying in our B&B in our, uh, in our was um, another couple who were a Mormon couple, and they were on pilgrimage to see the hill. And so we were up on the hill together. And for about two hours, we could not stop talking fast enough as they shared what they loved about their faith. And we shared what we loved about our faith. And there was no contention. There was no anybody trying to convert anybody. It was respectful and it was passionate and it was lovely. And I think we both came away from that encounter feeling sad that we wouldn't be talking more. You know, um, it was it was just a beautiful experience, and I love having those kinds of beautiful experiences. Um, back in 2013, I uh, took a pilgrimage myself, and um, I went to India and Nepal to visit all of the sites of the Buddha's life, and I I really wanted to immerse myself in that world. And I wanted to reflect on what it meant to have Jesus as my savior as I was living and eating and, uh, uh, and worshiping beside people who have a different savior. And it was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. I mean, dysentery aside, I, I did get dysentery six times, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh, oh, what an amazing experience that was. Um, I wrote a book called uh, A Christian Walks in the Footsteps of the Buddha. Um, 
And uh, it's a, you know, it's part travelogue, it's part theological reflection, it's part history. Um, but um, uh, just every bit of it is, uh, is heartfelt. It was, um, it was absolutely a transformative experience. And it was the people that made it so. It was just talking to the other pilgrims who were there. And what about the Buddha? What about the Dharma? What about the Sangha? Um, transforms their lives, gives their lives meaning, you know, um, lights them up. Um, it was a great experience. Yeah, that's, man, there, there's so much good there. And uh, two things that, that really stood out to me uh, were, and I'll, I'll try to tackle both of them. One of them was relationship. And also the other one was curiosity. And um, I loved how uh, earlier you were you were talking about <clears throat> when you were describing your your faith shift, um, this idea that like it's not not so about it's not so much about correct belief like right belief but rather right relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually today I was I was reading uh, from Richard Rohr's uh, book Things Hidden Scripture Spirituality, and he was talking about in, that in there as well. And he he talks about Jesus's statement about I'm the way the truth and the life. And he was trying to point out that like Jesus isn't making this like exclusivist, like, you know, kind of claim, but rather like this, this relationship is like so key that it's, it's about right relationship um, and, and not right belief. And then just, you know, the heart of the universe is relational energy, right? Quantum physics tells us this science has been saying this, the mystics, uh, the Trinity is this this idea of of three persons in relationship continuously uh, giving and receiving love, um, and so like of course relationship matters, right? And it's just it's so cool to to hear you talk about and share stories um, about building relationship with people outside of your own you know religious or or spiritual bubble or something like that, like relationship. Um, if relationship is the core pattern of the universe, then probably we should pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I have a whole theology yeah. around that. You know, com- uh, community is salvation. Um, and, uh, I'm very influenced by uh, Charles Williams, an Anglican mystic you 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 may know about, uh, who was a uh, part of the Inklings group with Tolkien and uh, and C.S. Lewis, um, and uh, you know, his, his theology is, well, first of all, it's all about romantic love, that uh, it, is, it is love, you know, God is love. So when we love, we are knowing, we know God, uh, you know, and that community is salvation and isolation is, 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 is damnation. You know, it's, you know, when we're in community, we are being saved. And when we uh, are in isolation, we are we are not. Um, in his theology, you can uh, either walk towards community or away from community. But in any time, you can turn around and walk the other way. But the further you walk in any one direction, the harder it is to turn around. I think there's really, really something there. <clears throat> and I love the metaphor of of the of the Trinity as community. Community is what God is. Yeah, it, it plays in nice scene. It, it, it fits well too. Cause like my understanding of, you know, what I mean by the word sin and how I use that has definitely shifted and, and changed over the years. But how I like to talk about sin now is like, anytime we buy into the lie or the delusion that we are separate from one another, that we are separate from nature, that we are separate from God, from creation, whatever. Um, that is what sin is. Because when we separate ourselves uh, from one another, that allows me to then treat you poorly or dehumanize you or be racist or kill you or fight you or, you know, whatever it is. And so like, for me, sa- you know, salvation is like this, this reawakening uh, to the reality that has been here the whole time, the whole time, right? That uh, all of us are connected. All of us are in relationship um, with each other, with with our neighbor, with God, with creation. 
Um, and that's, yeah, that's, that's huge. So I'm, I'm all oh, yeah. for the emphasis on relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that a big, uh, uh, piece of the puzzle that fit into, uh, into place for me was when I was reading, um, Scott McKnight, who I know you've had on your show, um, you know, when he's talking about what, what Christianity is about is healing in four directions, you know, healing the brokenness in our relationship with God, healing our brokenness in our, with, with our deepest selves, healing our brokenness with other people, and healing the brokenness with the environment, you know, with the, with the world, with the universe. Um, that the, this healing in all four directions it's what's nece- is, is, is what's necessary. Um, and you can also see the people in their ministries um, specialize in one of those directions, and that's a marvelous thing. Yeah, Mc, McKnight might just be a secret mystic who uh, hides it in his <laughs> beautiful academic mind that he has, you know, <laughs> but he has, to, he has to protect his job. I'm just kidding, Scott. Not that Scott listens to the podcast, but uh, I would like to think Scott is a secret mystic. He's a, he's a great dude. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the other thing that you had mentioned that I think is really, is really huge, and I know it's not everybody's personality, um, but I would listeners, I'd want to challenge you to take this as almost like a spiritual practice, right? The spiritual practice of just being curious. Mm. I think that's huge, right? Um, if we, you know, if we, as I was taught, you know, I grew up in a similar background, like fundamentalist Southern Baptist. Um, if I was taught that like I have the big T truth and that I have all access to that, then if I'm curious and go somewhere else, I shouldn't be afraid, right? Because I'm not going to find anything out there that's sketchy. I already have the truth. Um, <laughs> but I think curiosity is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful spiritual practice that when we um, allow ourselves to be curious, uh, one, it, it breaks down the ego, right? Which the, the ego causes all sorts of issues, uh, but it breaks down our ego. And then again, opens up the possibility for relationship because we're no longer blocking ourselves in and, you know, putting ourselves in this box and other people in these boxes, but curiosity says, well, let me see my box isn't all that great. Let me see what's in your box too. And then maybe <laughs> I have something in my box that you might have find helpful. So I think curiosity as a spiritual practice should, should become a thing. I don't know. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I think it's, I think it's really important. And in fact, you know, when we are in dialogue with people of other faiths, we, we kind of have to go to that encounter with a willingness to be changed. I think it, it's important to go with a certain amount of theological humility. Um, because uh, otherwise we're just butting heads and um, that isn't really helpful for anybody. Um, I, I can't say that there's a single uh, tradition that I've studied that I haven't learned from that, uh, you know, that hasn't informed my faith and in a way that uh, has, has made it richer. Yeah, I think um, humility is so key and that humility comes up a lot. I feel, well, at least in my experience, humility came up a lot as like a, hey, like as a good Jesus follower, humility is key. Um, it, was, it was like giving lip service, but it was never actually practiced. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> humility is good as long as you're talking with other Christians and you're disagreeing about something that, you know, maybe is a secondary, secondary issue or something like that. Um, but where I've found humility to be so helpful is that humility is, uh, I don't know if this is too strong to say, but almost like humility can be like a cure for our need for certainty. Um, mm. because I think it's once we, when we have certainty within our own perspectives, then that inherently makes us shut off to others. Oh, totally. And so for yeah. like me, certainty is one of those things that like, once we're nailed down into boxes of certainty, that is like a, you know, really great recipe for like violence, right? <laughs> because then you can't hear anybody else. So like, I think certainty, uh, is perhaps like a really dangerous evil that exists out there. And maybe humility, a dose of humility um, might be a healthy, healthy remedy. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I think certainty is the death of faith. 
I mean, faith assumes doubt. Uh, and if you're certain, who needs faith? Um, so uh, I, I, I find certainty to just be a poison spiritually. Yeah, it um because I, I think too, like certainty perhaps plays into the why I think I know for a fact certain certainty I'm being certain about uncertainty. Certainty uh, plays into uh, the egos need to be right. Yep. And that ego has a real way of killing spirituality. Ego kills spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I mean, I, once I had that realization, I think that was huge. So that I think, I think you're exactly right. And one of the, the Bible stories that I'm reminded of um, that I think illustrates this well is like the, like right before, or while Jesus gives like the, the disciples, like the great commission or whatever, which I think most Christians are probably familiar with, you know, like go out and make disciples of all nations. And before that happens, it says that like some of the disciples worshiped and some of them doubted, but the way that it's like written is it's not saying that there was a group of disciples who worshiped and also a group of disciples who doubted, but rather the disciples worshiped and doubted at the same time. And Mm -hmm. so like the 12 dudes that hung out with this Jesus guy that he's, you know, commissions to go spread this stuff were the worshiping and yet doubting disciples. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think that gets far too often overlooked. But I, th- I find that interesting and inspiring because I can yes. fit into that category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, when you look at different faiths, um, uh, well, first of all, a little pet peeve of mine is when um, people say, oh, well, you know, at, at their core, all faiths are the same. Well, you know, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're just not. Um, uh, I mean, soteriologically, they're not. Um, you know, what different faiths are trying to save us from differ from faith, from, from faith to faith. Um, um, but one of the things that all faiths really do have in common is this kind of uh, uh, core process for spiritual growth um, in that the goal is a, a disidentification with the personal ego and a re-identification with a larger self. You know, for native traditions, that larger self is nature. Um, you know, for Taoists, Dao, that larger self is the Tao. For, for Hindus, that larger self is Brahman. You know, for Mahayana Buddhists, it's Buddha nature. Um, for, for Jews, you know, exoterically, um, the larger self is Israel. You know, and esoterically, you know, it's uh, the larger self is is God. You know that 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 part of God that is in us, and the part of us that is in God. And in Islam, the larger self is the Ummah, and in Sufism, mystical Islam, it's Allah Himself. Um, but the process, you know, regardless of how you envision the larger self, that process of disidentification and re-identification is pretty much the same. And for Christians, you know, um, it, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's, it's, uh, it's a re-identification with Christ. Um, I, uh, I, I, I get uh, a little impatient with uh, the kind of uh, uh, anemic uh, s- sacramentalism that um, that you know that says baptism is a symbol. Um, you know, baptism, uh, you know, historically has been seen as a deeply mystical ritual that unites us to Jesus. That you know that at our baptism we become one being with Him. Everything that is ours becomes his. Everything that is his becomes ours. You know, so all that all that is ours, our gifts, but also our sin, is absorbed into him. And everything that is his, including his his divinity, his immortality, his resurrection, becomes ours. 
this, you know, the body of Christ isn't a metaphor. The body of Christ is a living reality. Um, Jesus is who I really am. Um, I'm only secondarily John. Um, that's a, I mean, there's a robust sacramentalism right there. That's, that's, uh, but that, that kind of mysticism is the heart of the Christian tradition. Um, uh, so Jesus is the larger self. Uh, we, we take that seriously, or we should take that seriously. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, it, it reminds me too, I think uh, I heard Richard Rohr say this, and I, I could be wrong. So if you know, please correct me, or listeners fact check me. But I think he was referencing Augustine, when he talks about the idea of uh, the Eucharist, right? And he was like, Oh, because Richard Rohr is a Franciscan, you know, monk, and he's like a Catholic, and he's like, oh, we have these fights and these debates over is it the real presence? Is it not? What is it? And he's like, it's an adventure and missing the point. Because the point <laughs> of the Eucharist is to remind us that we are what we eat. Mm-hmm. Just like you said, we are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he was he was pulling from Augustine when he was uh referencing that, but I I absolutely love that. And I think that was a, another huge uh, thing for myself because growing up. So, so what I've noticed is like growing up, all of these really great things like the Eucharist and, and baptism and uh, whatever um, within the faith that I grew up in, when everything was taken literally or lot maybe like overly logical is the the best words i can explain um and never quite satisfied it 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 sounded nice but it never quite got there it never quite brought transformation if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and then once once the spiritual lenses so to speak um were brought to the picture then it was like oh my goodness like this was here the whole time. Holy crap. This is like, really good news. Yeah. Hiding in plain sight. Right. Exactly. It's been in front of me the whole time. That's why I, I like talking about it as this like awakening to a reality that has been true the whole time. Yes. Um, and it's, that's, that's like the, the spirituality. Sorry, that's a, oh that no, Siri, Sorry. go away. Forgive Siri. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she wants to get in on the conversation apparently. Like that's, that's the gift that the mystics uh, have, have given me. And it took me a really long time. Uh, and I, and I'm still just now like starting to, to come to terms with this. Um, and it's, it's been really, really huge. Um, but also quickly, before I forget, you had mentioned that one thing that uh, kind of is a pet peeve of yours is the idea that like, Oh, all religions are just the same or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I want to be really careful not to say that too, because like, I think once we, um, that can become very like, uh, I don't, I don't know how to pronounce the word properly. Like, um, I don't like singular, like it, or like even just like, um, patriarchal is not quite the right word, like hierarchical. Like I have all of this stuff figured out. I sit here at the top. And I can see and, and bring this all together and it fits in my box. Like it, that seems wrong to me <laughs> like, well, or something. Yeah. I don't like, I'm, I'm, I'm lacking words, but I'm, I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I'm just well, I'm trying to find the right word for it. Uh, well, it, 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 it sounds reductionistic too, uh, to, to, to say that, but you've kind of, you've hit upon, you know, one of the big, um, uh, kind of debates in uh, interfaith uh, theology, you know, what do we do with our exclusivism? You know, there's, there's really three positions, broad positions to take. And, you know, you and I are both intimately familiar with the, the exclusivist position. This is what we were brought up on. Basically, we're right. Everyone else is wrong. Um, and, uh, and in, our particular brand of that, uh, the Southern Baptist brand, everyone else is, you know, destined for an eternal hell. Um, but, you know, in the, the mid 20th century, you started to see uh, uh, another position uh, come to the fore, which is uh, inclusivism. So Carl Rahner's 
uh, Anonymous Christian is probably the most famous uh, example of this. So, um, uh, you know, Rahner uh, said that, um, you know, that Jesus is, uh, you know, the son of God and Christianity is correct. Um, but <clears throat> people of other faiths might get enough right to make it in under the wire. Um, and so a Christian, uh, I mean, a Buddhist could be an anonymous Christian, could be, you know, uh, a Christian in, in heart and not know it, um, but, but God would recognize that, that, that Christianity. Uh, obviously, this is a problematic uh, <laughs> way, of, way of looking at it. Um, but in fact, inclusivism is probably the most prevalent um, uh, way of, of looking at interfaith. Um, I, I certainly find that that's true among my students. A lot of my students are what I would call spiritual, but not religious folks. Um, and, you know, they've, they've constructed this uh, spiritual schema. They've got it figured out. Um, and, uh, and as part of their schema, even people who don't have it, you know, they don't get it right, um, there, there aren't going to be any, any serious or eternal consequences because, you know, there's, a, there's a loving, there's, 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 there's a loving divinity behind everything. Um, so it's all okay. Um, that's an inclusivist position. That's a very, that's, it's a very generous, uh, inclusivist position. Um, but it's still an inclusivist position. Um, the, the other position that's possible is, is, uh, a pluralistic, uh, position. Um, and this is, you know, probably best represented by John Hick. I don't know if you've read um, uh, John Hick, but um, he's, he's basically uh, saying that all of our religions are metaphors and symbols that are pointing towards some larger mystery that we can't figure out and we can't explain. Um, but, uh, but, through these symbols and metaphors, we can have some kind of relationship with. Um, but basically, all of our symbols and metaphors are kind of equally wrong. But they're also kind of equally right. Uh, so, um, so there's 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 no space for us to, you know, to have any kind of spiritual arrogance, because um, we're we're all just pointing towards towards that mystery. And and you know, I think there's a lot to be said for uh, for Hicks position. Um, but a few years ago when I was at the parliament of world religions, I, um, I came across a panel on the theology of S Mark Heim. Have you, have you read, uh, Mark Heim at all? He's a Lutheran theologian. Um, and he has a, <clears throat> an inclusivist position that is very nuanced, um, that I find very, very compelling. Um, uh, almost thou hast convinced me. Um, Mark. So uh, he's basically saying uh, that, yes, there is, there is one right faith or one faith that gets more of it right than any other. And he thinks that faith is, is Christianity. But so great is, is the mercy and the love of God that God will honor whatever covenant you have signed on to. So if you have signed on to the Buddhist covenant and you, you know, believe that you will enter into nirvana, then God will grant that. You will, you will get what you want at the end of all things. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, a, a multiple eschatological ends. Um, uh, and I think there's also a lot to be said for that position, although I'm, I'm not so confident that Christianity comes closer to it than any other. Um, but he, uh, he does in, uh, in, in a later book, um, uh, The Depth of the Riches, he talks about a schema where he says there are, there are religions of the father, like Judaism and Islam and Kashmir Shaivism. Uh, there are religions of the sun, like Christianity, and, you know, many forms of uh, Vishnaic uh, Hinduism that, uh, uh, that 
centered themselves on one of the incarnations of Vishnu. Um, and then there are religions of the spirit, which is kind of the basket into which all the others are, are thrown, like <laughs> oh, Buddhism and, and, uh, uh, and uh, native traditions and, and so forth. Um, and that um, different religions basically have primary relationships with different members of the Trinity. Um, it's a really interesting notion. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to say, yeah, I think I, 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 I think, I think you're right about that, but, uh, it's, it's something that I can't stop thinking about. Uh, and, and certainly it is a way, it is a framework for Christians to understand how other religions can be life-giving and salvific because they are facilitating uh, relationships with God in one of the forms that we understand. And, you know, one of the things that I, I tell my spiritual directees is the, uh, the great thing about having a trinity is as long as you're on speaking terms with one of them, you're good to go. I really like that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's, Huh. That I that's really interesting. I I definitely I want to I took some notes when you were you were speaking. I want to look into his work um cuz that is super interesting to me. I've not not come across that. Uh well, you should you should you should have him on your show. I I, I would I would really want to hear that. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good to me. You don't have to ask me twice. <laughs> I'll have to I'll reach out and I'll I'll check out some of his work. Um but for me and I it did my best to try to express this and I'll do my best to try to express it again. Um, but I did this on a, a recent episode with my friend, Greg, when we talked about Buddhism, um, I used to, one of the first questions I started asking myself um, or asking in general uh, when it came to like deconstruction or whatever was the, the question of hell. Like what is, what is hell? Who goes there? Who doesn't? And heaven, right? And at first I became an annihilationist and took that position. Uh, and then eventually I became a, you know, like a hopeful universalist. And then I was like, no, I'm just universalist because David Bentley Hart convinced me that like saying I'm hopeful was like a coward thing to do or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> it's a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, but then like I've recently, and like, I don't know when this shift happened. Like I can't pinpoint it, but it's just something like, when I was speaking, it came out of me and I was like, oh, that's weird. That's what I believe. Huh, I guess that is what I believe. Like I got to this, this point within universalism where I was like, well, what? Like, I don't, I don't even know what it means to go to heaven when I die or anything like that. Uh, the Bible has some references, which, you know, as a Christian, that's my sacred text. The Bible has some references. Uh, it, it doesn't really seem too interested in it. It talks a whole lot about earth though, and the kind of life we're living now. And so I came to this form of universalism uh, where it was like, everything exists. So I'm a panentheist. So like everything exists within uh, the divine mm -hmm. and the divine exists within all things at the same time. And so like everything exists so with my Trinitarian Christian language, everything exists within the divine flow, within the outpouring of the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And and the thing that's lacking is not that truth that everything exists, but rather an awareness of it. And so when I interact with uh, different faiths, um, I'm still like, we're all in this divine flow together. And I call this thing uh, Christ and you call it the Tao or you call it the Buddha or you call it this or that. So like, I don't know exactly where that falls, but like, that's kind of like the space that I at least currently find myself in. Um, is that, yeah I, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense at all? Am I like missing something? No, I know. I don't think so at all. Um, uh, I, uh, I once hit upon the idea of the uh, the the of the universe being like a computer, and um, uh, 
Jesus being my user interface. Whereas, you know, Buddhists have a different user interface. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> we're, we're, using the, we're using the same computer, but, you know, Jesus is the face of God for me. Um, and um, so then, you know, then you get into the question of, okay, but is he, so is he just a symbol of God or is, is he a living person? Um, and I have to say he's a living person, but I'm, I'm also, I'm at the same time, I'm completely willing to, to uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to accept the idea that, that the Buddha is a living person as well. Um, and, uh, you know, if for Mahayana Buddhists, um, you know, is the, the face of, of the all for them. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I like that. And I think too, cause I still want to like make that kind of affirmation as well. Like Jesus, like, but to me, they become true faith claims at that point. I'm making a faith claim about who I believe the person of Jesus to be. And I'm basing that off of experiential knowledge of the God mm -hmm. that I've, ex you know, experienced. And then also here's this like theology and beautiful, you know, tradition called Christianity that I find myself in. Um, so like I make these faith claims about who I think the person of Jesus is, but then that still gives room for that humility and curiosity to say okay well let's you know talk over here like how how do you guys phrase this as uh muslims or as you know a buddhist or, or hindu or uh whatever and i think um that was a, a major shift for me as well and i think i i think coming to this and, and even having conversations like this has been really helpful because one of the questions that I've been so terrified to ask and to look into. It's like the one thing that I didn't want to question in my faith uh, was historic Jesus studies, mm -hmm. which sounds silly to some people. Cause they're like, why not? Uh, but because Jesus was my foundation and my anchor point, And I was like, I can't question that thing. Mm -hmm. um, but conversations like this, and then the experiential knowledge that I have, I've gained and that other people seem to experience as well has actually softened my, I wanted to say my heart at first, but I think the intellect, my ego was the thing that was in the way It is beginning to soften that and then open my heart to, to, you know, conversations like that. So I don't know. I'm just a work in progress. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? Aren't we all right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we, I think it's human to, to want to have it all figured out. Um, and, I, and I think that's the downfall of our, uh, of our faiths when they go bad, is that we, we think we have it all figured out. Um, when, in fact, um, there's so much mystery. And I, I would rather be in love with the mystery than with the answers. Um, because I think in the mystery is life. And, you know, so this mystery takes uh, this form for me and takes another form for somebody else. Uh, and they are both vital in living relationships. And I, I don't have to question that. Yeah, that, it's, that's beautiful. And I, it reminds me too of this idea that like mystery doesn't mean something that is unknowable, but rather something that is infinitely knowable. <laughs> yeah and i'm like yeah, and, that's great <laughs> well and ineffable you know and i i mean i think this is the this is the trap that all the mystics get into is they have this experience of this great mystery that is beyond the power of, of words to contain but they have to try it's like the very first uh uh, verse of the Tao Te Ching says that the Tao that can be described in words is not the real Tao. But then he spends 5,000 Chinese characters trying to describe it in words, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, that's I always think, the way. I, I mean, I think, too, that's like what the biblical authors were trying to do as well. Oh yes. Like they're they're trying to put words to this experience that they had. 
And uh, sometimes they sound like ancient Near Eastern people, but that's because they were. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're trying to put words to this and like this experience. And then, you know, uh, Paul comes along and he's trying to figure out like this whole like Christ experience, this radical change and con conversion, this change of heart that he had in his life. And he's like trying to put it into words and he's throwing out all these different metaphors and ideas and he just can't seem to just give us one, which is what we want, right? And, <laughs> yes. And I think that that's a good thing and not a bad thing. That's like kind of more so where I'm moving into is like, oh, Paul is trying or or whoever these these biblical authors are trying to describe something that is that is undescribable, and they're doing their best to give human language to their experience. And when we try to take that and make it too literal, then it just it's again, it's another adventure in, uh, in missing the point. So. <laughs> well, well, right. And it becomes, it, it becomes dangerous and hurtful, which yep. and, and it becomes the opposite of the gospel. It becomes bad news. Yeah. Bad news indeed. And, uh, yeah. And it, and then that's where it starts to, draw divisions and where it starts to separate uh, rather than unite and bring together. And then, you know, the fruits of the spirit aren't birthed out of this separation and division and anger and violence and hatred. Um, and so it's like, hello, we didn't have a clue. Like it's right here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, yeah. we're, we're missing it. Uh, and, and you've just, adventure. you just hit upon something else. You know, when you mentioned the, the fruits of the spirit, you know, one of the great things about um, becoming friends with people of other faith traditions is that you see the fruits of the Spirit in their life as well. You see that their faith is salvific, you know, that it is transformative, that it is making them um, a more loving person. Um, and so it's, you know, it's really hard to, uh, when you start to know and love someone of another faith, um, you know, to, to have those exclusivist boundaries because your eyes, you know, your eyes betray you. Um, <laughs> you can, you can see the love that your friend has for God. And it's the same love that you have for God. That's why I love reading like Rumi and Hafiz, uh, because I, I, totally, I totally relate with their experience of the beloved. Yeah, I remember, man, this was a while ago. I, we had a, I had a conversation way a long time ago. Uh, and my friend Dan was on the podcast. And at the time, my, my co-host uh, was very different from me theologically, which was cool. That was like the whole point of the show at the time. And the way that some Christians would describe what you're describing is a bucket called common grace, right? Where like God gives, you know, special grace to Christians and the elect. And then everyone else who looks like they actually love people, they're still pieces of shit. That's just common grace. And my friend Dan had this wonderful line. He was like, well, dude, it sure seems a lot like regular fucking grace to me. <laughs> and that's what he said. <laughs> yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah. I was like, ah, I kind of with I'm with Dan on this one. It sure seems yeah. like grace to me. <laughs> and if we, we have to come up with a, a concept to describe why somebody's actions that are producing the fruits of the spirit and that are loving and that are good and beautiful, true. If we have to come up with the system to say why none of that's true they're still just pieces of shit then who's doing mental gymnastics here who is you know that's i i don't know absolutely <laughs> absolutely i'm i'm totally with you there uh man well john um it is we have gone over the amount of time that i uh originally um asked you for but this conversation has been so much fun and there's like a million questions i'd still love to ask you so perhaps uh you'll have to just come and hang out again if i didn't manage to scare you away <laughs> any any time and uh and let me know when you want to talk writing sometime too 
Oh yeah, most definitely. That that would be awesome. I will uh, I will keep in touch with you. I, I have your email, obviously, and uh, I'll offline. I'll give you some more of my uh, personal contact information as well, and uh, that'd be a lot of fun. I'd appreciate. Sounds it. good. Sweet. Thank well, you so much for having me on. This was an absolute blast. Yeah, most definitely. And um, as well, I'm I'm going to I have some notes of like different things I'm going to post in the the show notes as well, like links to some of your your books. I'll link your website, things like that. Um, so listeners can can connect with you. Is there anywhere else aside from like links to books and website where people can find you or you want people to, <laughs> to find you? <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, Facebook, I'm on Facebook, so uh, they can find me there as well. Sweet. Most definitely. Well, John, again, thank you so much for your time and your patience with getting this interview to, to happen. I appreciate it. And uh, listeners, thanks so much for hanging out today. And as always, go in peace. Peace.